This is the new Metro New York market. Hey everybody, it's Zach, the brand advocate. As I've been posting on social media over the last two and a half years or so, a lot of people have reached out to me um, for advice with their products, uh, for feedback, to, for work opportunities, to work with Omni, for referrals, for Omni to send people to work for them. Um, a young gentleman did reach out from another part of the country. Um, he's looking to start his own brokerage company, and he has followed my content online for a while and has, has said he admired the way that we, uh, we act in the industry. And he asked if we could talk and I could give him some pointers about him starting his own company. So I was very fortunate to have some mentors that really opened the books up for me when I was first starting out, when I was a young pup, so to speak, in the business. And that really accelerated my learning curve. You know, I've seen a lot of leaders that, that don't open up all of their tricks of the trade to their younger um, co-workers. I had some really great mentors that helped move me along down the line. But I did the work. I was hungry. I showed up. I asked the questions. So when someone goes out of their way and shows me that they're that hungry, that they want to take a risk and they want to better themselves, and they're asking me to give them a few minutes, I love to give back. I, to me, I just feel like it's the right thing to do. So we spoke, I spoke with this gentleman. Um, here's our conversation. I hope you enjoy it and enjoy the brand advocate. Looking at, you know, the food broker industry, being with a, a large distributor for food service for the last eight years, there's a huge need for passionate food brokers, if, you know, brand advocates, as you call your company, you know, so I started to look around to see what companies I thought were, you know, modernized and did things the right way and didn't just go through the motions. And so that's how I had uh, found your media, Instagram, and, and different uh, posts. And believe it or not, I mean, I didn't really find too many other brokers that do what you do. So I thought it was a good model to look at. Well, thank you. I appreciate that very much. Absolutely. You know, and uh, being in sales for a large company as well, I started looking at other opportunities, and it, you could be successful with a large company top of sales within a, within a company in a, in a growing market. If you, if you put all of that work towards your own business, you know, how much farther would it go type of thing, you know? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. People are motivated to work for themselves, motivated to, to get what they put in. And, absolutely. And having your own business is the, is the ultimate. And I don't know if it's like that in, in New York like it is here, but there's a lot of very you know, large brokers that are nationwide, especially in food service. So, you know, today they might have Ocean Spray or they might have uh, David's Cookies or something like that, and then they lose that, and then tomorrow they pick up another brand and, and they're selling that just as hard as they were the brand that they had. So it's kind of like, you know, you question, do they truly believe in the brand that they are selling? Right. Yeah, no, there are national brokers in our marketplace too, and some we've actually hired some people that came from those companies, and they... They've filled us in on the culture there and the style of work and the format and how new items are communicated and how 
how promotions are communicated. Yeah, it is. It is definitely different, and I, and perhaps maybe not as personal as the local regional expert brand advocates for sure. Sure, and and the support on the street. So I know food service and retail is is quite different as far as you know our brokers. We call them if we have a restaurant that's interested in a product, they go and sample it, uh, show it, a present you know presentation, and then. You know, they're also meeting with our merchandisers to try to bring in new items into stock that their that their manufacturers are pushing. So, I guess it's a little bit of the same, but just a different way of of doing things on the street. As far as you're going to the supermarkets, our brokers are going into individual restaurants. Right, right. So similar but different. Same functions right, right. but different places. Right. So I mean, if I'm a sales rep for a company. And, and my customers trust me, and I bring in a broker, and I say, you know, a simple question where a chef asks, how long, what's the shelf life on this item? And a broker says, uh, you know, that to me is embarrassing because it's on me as well, you know? So just more and more things like that where I just started to realize what kind of opportunity there is for for brands that are, and, and manufacturers that they're really paying these companies to represent them. Do they really know what's going on behind the scenes? That's a really good point, and it's something that is very uh, important to me because it takes so much to get someone's time and attention that when you finally get it, and what I mean by that is people are hard to reach, number one. It's hard to get their contact information first off. It's hard to actually get face-to-face -to, -face to them. There's so many options out there for people to choose from. And there's a lot of similar products with the same attributes, You've got to know your stuff when you sit down with someone. And that's one of the things that I preach to our team and to, to our brands, our principals, and to our customers is that we've got to know everything before going into the meeting or as much as possible as we can so that when we have everyone's attention and we have everyone's intent to make a deal, we don't have to go back and check for approval. We don't have to go back and check spec sheets or, or check with managers for, for this stuff. You can't. You can't foolproof it 100% because there's always going to be that one question that comes up that you're not prepared for that you never thought you would be have to be prepared for. But for the most part, sure. you've got to prepare everyone to be ready. I mean, there's like 30 pieces of information that a person needs to have for one product mm -hmm. when you go in. And you're going in with, in some cases, dozens or hundreds of products. There's a lot of variables you need to have. So... Education is key, training is key, and, and having the information is key. And you can do all that stuff, but if there's no passion there, if the person on the other side of the desk isn't a warm body and isn't really caring about making that deal for the right reasons and building that long-term relationship, then I've had the right people that had the IQ in those positions, but if there's other things that motivate them other than and doing the right thing and building for the long term, it's not going to work out. So it's not just about finding the smartest people. I mean, there's people with lower IQ that, that have the right work ethic and passion that fit into the right spot because they're here to make a commitment. They're here to show that they're here for the long term. So it's very hard. And, and as a leader, that's one thing you'll have to think about is you kind of need to clone your style and let everyone else have their own style, but let them still adopt your core, 
your core beliefs, your core belief system. Absolutely. And if I'm right, so in retail, if you go through all of the motions, get a brand, a product into a supermarket, they are paying some kind of a fee to get it on the shelf, correct? Yes. Different supermarkets have different costs of doing business. Gotcha, okay. So as far as the manufacturer goes, obviously they're going to they're gonna believe in their product very strongly. And they're automatically going to think it's going to sell. But say a, a supermarket charges $15,000 for that slot, and there's no guarantee. So if it doesn't sell, it doesn't sell. You pay that fee, and now it's discontinued three months later. That's, that's it, right? Well, most supermarkets give you a, a cycle, a season, a year, or a half a year, or a dedicated amount of time to give the product an honest look. So I, I could genuinely tell you that brands know what they're getting into when they pay the slotting fees, and in most cases, when you pay that slotting fee, there's a clearly defined understanding of how much time you have and what sales figure the customer is looking for that line or that product to bring in order for it to stay on the shelf after that initial six-month or one-year period. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, okay. And, and basically, it, it, I don't know if you ever heard of the phrase, you have to pay to play. It's basically yeah, what it is. Very rarely, some products do get offered to come in without any you know, new item slotting required. It does happen, and different retailers have their different philosophies in doing business. One retailer may not have a slotting fee, but he may have a higher ad fee, whereas the other retailer might have an initial slotting fee, but then there's no ad fee. So you really have to, and that's what a brand advocate does, put all these costs together, put them all up, and, and have one total figure. And then you, you basically work it backwards to see how many pounds you would need to make it profitable based on the total spent at the account. Gotcha. So you include all of the, the different fees that would come with, with their publications that a supermarket puts out, and you tie that all in to your manufacturer? Yes, and we, we do that before the account call. You know, Omni's been around for 27 years, so we have a strong familiarity with all the retail, uh, all the retail players and distributors in the Metro New York market. There's 25 plus. So we know what guys want to go out with the lowest retail and just move volume, and we know what guys want to have a little bit more margin built up, and their customers are perhaps a little bit less uh, concerned about what the retail cost is. So everyone's got a different cost of doing business, and what a, one of the advantages of someone hiring Omni is, if someone were to go on their own, first off, they'd be lucky to get a buyer to sit down with them in a reasonable amount of time, and we prepare them for, hey, the buyer's going to ask you for these five things. These two things are not that important. These two things are somewhat important. This last one, you're going to have to do no matter what. We give all that before the meeting. So if a manufacturer needs to adjust his pricing or get ready for this or ask for approval now, he does it all before that meeting. Gotcha. And that's how we save the manufacturer so they don't have to go back and look foolish and then waste time and callbacks, emails back. You know, everyone's busy. As soon as the meeting's over, everyone's on to the next thing. How do they market once it's on the shelf? So do you help them do marketing campaigns and stuff like that, or is that basically on the manufacturer to, you know, once it's on the shelf, their social media point of production, 
you know, find us now at ShopRite, etc. No. Once we get on the shelf, the battle has just begun. Right. We don't celebrate until we get the third order. Because your first product on the shelf is an automatic distribution sent from the buyer. The second order could be for some stores that didn't get it or just making sure the stocks are totally full. When you get your third order, that means that product has sold through and there's demand for more product. And that's why we feel we've made it and we'll give each other a high five after the third order. Um, so yes, there's, a, there's a, a whole bag of tools that we use to help get to that. So of course, there's product demonstrations, there's putting the product on sale, there's sampling in stores, which we're big fans of. You know, a lot of people, there's mixed reviews on samplings. And if you, if you took a poll of 100 manufacturers right now and said, hey, what's your viewing on product sampling or what's your opinion on product sampling? 50 of them would tell you they're for it and 50 of them would tell you they're against it. And that's because it all depends on who is conducting the demo. When you have someone that's doing the demo that is knowledgeable, that is vibrant, that is aware, that is present, that is seeking out customers, that's making eye contact, that's passionate, it's within reason and it's a goal of Omnis to sell out a store when we do a, a demo for a product. On the flip side, there's been a lot of companies that view this as a revenue generating opportunity and have taken it, taken an opportunity to charge a, a lower cost than, than what it would cost to have a real good person do it and they'll just take anyone off the street that'll go do it and the person may not know what they're selling, what makes their products unique. They may be looking at their phone half the time. They may be doing other things while they're not talking to customers, not engaging customers. I've seen it all. And when that happens, of course, <clears throat> there's missed opportunities. So Absolutely. I've seen that as well. There's food shows and everything. You know, people on their phone, not even, they could have 20 customers walk by and not look at them one time. For sure. So a lot of part of what Omni does is, you know, we have people that come in that are damaged that have these bad opinions about product demos because of horror stories where they've been taken advantage of in the past. And we've got to kind of, hey, listen, talk them off the ledge, come in, sit down, we show them pictures of what we've done, we show results of what we've done, show the sales back up to show, hey, we've got a, a good track record here, let's just try one, just put your foot in the water. You don't like it, there's no more commitment, but give it a try and let us see, let, let us show you what we can do. When you bring in manufacturers, so you're looking at me, start up the next one to two years. I know retainers for, are, are a big part of of a, a broker, correct? Uh, well, they're not a big part, but they do exist, and it is a tool that some brokers use. You know, they're typically they're used by larger brokers that have a good amount of base of business already, and mm -hmm. they don't really need to take on a new line. So they'll take it on because they're giving up the time that they would be spending on their established lines to then go pioneer something that it's 50-50 whether it'll work out or not. Right. So that's my, my philosophy is, especially in the beginning, like if I tell a manufacturer my, my retainer is $1,000 a month, they're going to look at me like I have nothing to show. I have no portfolio to show what I've done at this point, you know, until I build a business and show proof of what you know, what the expectation should be. So that was one of the concerns, not, not one of the concerns, but one of the 
decisions I wanted to make was retainers probably, you know, not in, in the cards for me in a, in a startup until there's proven sales and proven success. I think that's a great call. You know, when you're young and you're starting out and you're in your, you're in your infancy, you know, one of the things about the retainer is it puts a lot of pressure on you. You've got to perform. When that money's being paid, that company is expecting a return. What I've learned over time is because I've had companies that have come to me and I didn't want to represent it, and they've thrown money in my face. And they've said, Zach, take us on. We'll pay you $1,000 a week for a year. And that happens. But what I've learned is you've got to think for the long haul, and more so than the short-term money is your time. Right. Your time you can't get back. You've got 50, 60, 70 hours in a week of work hours that you can allocate to your principles, to your product base. More so than the money that comes in for a line, get involved with something that you believe is going to last long term. Something that you think is going to be on the shelves today and in 10 years from now. More so than who's going to pay a retainer and who's not. Because it's better, and I understand everyone's financial position is different, so some people could be a little bit more selective about what they can get into versus what they can't. So, of course, it helps to have a little bit of money so you don't have to take on the first thing that comes if it's something that you're not passionate about. But you want to be able to get into something that you believe wholeheartedly so that when you go in front of these buyers and you're spending all these hours and you're in your car and you're traveling and people are canceling appointments on you and then you're going back to see them for the second and the third time, you're not doing this for the minimum check that's coming in. You're doing this because this is an investment that you believe will be a pillar of your business five years from now. Right. So I'll be candid. There's a lot of lines that Omni has said no to. We get a lot of things that are sent to our office, a lot of owners that are emailing and calling and want us to take them on, but we just can't do it because if we took everybody on, we'd be pioneering all these new things, and it just doesn't work like that. We've, we've got to prioritize our time. So I'd recommend you do that too, and brands will respect you for it. If you have this long-term vision, and what I'm doing right now, just in the, like an infancy stage, while I'm have a full-time career, is uh, trying to build relationships with buyers and hitching myself to other brokers that are willing to bring me into certain places. Um, so you know, a lot of people say publics you'll never get into. Of course, the naysayers, but you know, in reaching out to a few different category managers and buyers with my philosophy just with the current status of brokers and what they like to see, what they don't like to see, they've been pretty receptive and open so far. <clears throat> Absolutely. There's always room for a credible person, especially in the food industry. It really goes for any industry. The food industry specifically has a lot of people that have been in it for a long time. A lot of people that have not innovated with technology and the times. So there's always room in any industry for a hard worker. What you want to do, number one, and, and this is what I did, you want to build your reputation among customers, among principals, among manufacturers. You want to portray yourself as an expert. And you, the most important for you starting out is people need to trust you. They need to believe that when you say something, you believe it. When you say a truck is going to be there, that truck will damn well be there. When you say a product has... 30 days code life, it damn well has 30 days code life. And if you tell them that you're going to pay them for an ad or you're going to pay them a rebate or accrual, 
that in 30 days when that bill comes in, you pay it on time. You need to do all these things because this is a, uh, there's a, it's a building factor. I'm not sure what the proper terminology is, but things build on each other in the food industry. So if you're starting out, right, if you look and you work hard enough, you'll find a brand that's going to give the, give you a chance. There's enough brands out there that are looking for business. If you're resourceful enough, you'll get someone who's going to give you a chance. You need to take that whoever's going to give you that chance and do a really great job for them. And believe it or not, if you knock on enough doors and if you hustle hard enough, you will generate opportunities. And opportunities will come up where you'll be able to grow that business. Don't slack off. Don't take it for granted. Always be conservative. You want to come in with, you want to over-deliver. You don't want to under-deliver. And from that, you never know. The person in charge of that brand may take a new job for another brand, and he may remember the job you did. He may say, hey, I'm working over here now. Can you help me out with this? The food industry is a small fraternity where people yeah. bounce around from distributors to brokers to manufacturers and vice versa and all intertwined. And people don't really leave this industry for the most part because there's such a specialized knowledge base. So be friendly to everyone. Look to help people out. Put a hand out to the assistants, to the clerks, to the people that are answering the phones trying to get you to the people that you want to talk to. Those people answering the phones will one day be the people that you're trying to get to. Be nice to them now. And all in due time, I've seen it happen in my life on more than one occasion. You be good to people because you think they might be gone, but they'll come back. Absolutely. It's funny how it translates from food service to retail. Like you're talking, you know, you walk into the back of a kitchen, you know, you're friendly with the dishwasher, the line cooks and everything. Eventually they become a manager or an executive chef, then they move, and then you have that account and this account, and it just it's a domino effect and it keeps building based on the relationships that you build. It totally does. I, I've seen it happen. I've, I'm at Omni 10 years full-time now. I saw it with my mentors before me, and I'm living proof that, that it does happen. I've seen a lot of people that were in junior positions that have been elevated, that get transferred, and you never know how things work out. Even if people wrong you in their positions, eat dirt, suck it up, be good to them anyway, because they may bounce back around. <clears throat> And they may be looking for a friend in their new position. You want to always leave your bridges and your opportunities open. Do you ever work with um, sales reps with for distributors, like say UNFI or some of the larger distributors? Um, do you have to work with them directly to promote product and bring in product? Well, for the most part, distributors are gatekeepers. They're a warehouse and a truck. You know, for the most part, distributors don't dictate what goes into stores. It's really the stores that control it. It's the distributors that bring it in once the store tells them they want it. So you need to have a good relationship with distributors, but the green light ultimately comes from the buyers from the supermarket headquarters. Gotcha. And that's, I guess, how it is different between food service and, and the supermarket because a lot of times the distributor here dictates it and won't bring things into stock, even though a restaurant wants it. You know what I mean? Okay. 
so that is a huge hurdle um, where distributors have certain relationships and they get certain buyback programs and things like that from a certain manufacturer. So they won't bring in another manufacturer or they'll close code it. So not everybody can purchase it, you know? So it's a really political game sometimes. Well, there's a way around everything. So what I'd say is, and of course, accruals are commonplace in the industry. So that happens, and we all know that the food industry, there's a lot of backroom deals that go on, and you know who participates in this and who takes care of that, and, and that's definitely a part of it. What I'd say is get to the end users. Get to the people that dictate what product gets used. Maybe there's another distributor that you could use, or there's another way that you can get them the product that you're trying to pioneer. There's always a way to do something. You, know, you may not have a truckload of delivery to start. You may have to you know, have a van or, or a refrigerated van and make a delivery of five boxes or ten boxes, but you start with that, and you build it over time. Speaking of that, do you guys have a lot of issues with freight right now? I know we do, with the, the industry being the way it is. Uh, yeah, Omni has a number of manufacturers that have been influenced by the, the shortage of drivers or the new laws taking place where drivers have to there's stricter enforcements on the hours that drivers have to log. So it has made uh, deliveries just a tiny bit, um, I'd say, harder. You know, maybe there's more, there's more delays and there's more drivers having to take their mandated, their hours off to rest. It happens, but it really hasn't caused a major disruption in our industry. Everything is still going as it was before. Oh, that's good. Yes. And I guess, you know, having so many brands, what do you, how do you decide which products you're going to show when you have a standing appointment? You know, I'm watching some of your videos, you, you'd mentioned you always have standing appointments with the top retailers and supermarkets. So how do you choose which items you're going to show? And then going back to the manufacturers, like if they say you haven't shown my product in a couple months, how does that play out? Well, every principal has their own initiatives, and we meet with each principal quarterly, at least. And then, in addition to that, we're in touch with them weekly. So there's constant dialogue going back and forth. You know, we, we view ourselves as extensions of our manufacturers. We work for the brands that hire us. So that, that's our boss, our regional sales manager. We need to check in with very frequently. So when it comes to appointments, there is no standard routine. There may be one account that I'm seeing three times in, in two weeks. And then there may be a few weeks that goes by where I don't see them. So there's no, there's no set formula to how things work. You know, things get hot at times when we're setting up new launches and new programs. And I may be in touch with a buyer, you know, 20 times over two or three days. But we're launching. And then as we launch, then we'll get back in touch after a period of time to evaluate how it goes. So it's, it's really not black and white where, oh, here's my standing appointment, you know, how am I gonna break up the time? It's uh, every principal gets all their initiatives set in stone and we make sure everything gets communicated to the appropriate buyers. If it's done at a, at a standard weekly meeting or if we need to add an additional meeting to give it the right time, we'll do that as well. We, okay. we also welcome when our principals come on calls with us. It's really an enhancement. It really helps. It's not always possible because of where everyone is based from, but 
the more the merrier. We love going on calls with our principals. Sure, especially if they're fired up about what they what they make and what they sell. Absolutely. It shows further commitment to the customer, too. I know you go to the Fancy Food Show. Any other uh, trade shows that you recommend that to find new products, innovative products? Yeah, sure. I would go to as many as you can. Uh, the Fancy Food Show is great. For me, it's local. It's here at the Jacob Javits Center in New York City. So uh, it, I don't have to change too much of my schedule to get there. And there's usually thousands of, of vendors, so that, that's a fun one. Um, Expo East and Expo West is one that's growing in huge popularity. There's, um, there's a lot of growing entrepreneurs in the food industry that are, that are foregoing their traditional jobs and going out, and, and they're starting out real slow. But then over time, you're seeing these products show up in stores. So the expo shows, <clears throat> there's the, the meat expo, there's the IDDBA, the deli show, there's the Boston Seafood Show, and there's a few other ones, but off the top of my head, those are the ones that are the most worthwhile. Great, no, I appreciate that. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, you know, putting yourself in situations to be successful is how things happen. You never know who you're going to meet, and also you never know what's going to find you. I mean, I've had a lot of brands that I've targeted that I've said, hey, I want Omni to represent this brand. And I'll go through the whole campaign of tailoring an approach to them and getting familiar with their business and going after them. But some of them are just not interested or some of them have something in place or, or they can't make a move. You'd be surprised just by increasing awareness for yourself, other brands that you may not even have targeted may be ready to make a move and it's just a matter of them seeing you and then something happens internally for them, and then they'll reach out to you to make a move. So it's twofold, right? It's having your list of, of who you want, an awareness of who's big, who you want to partner with, who's primed for growth. And the other part is putting yourself out to be found by the unknown. Because I, I've had a lot of things that found me that I didn't think about. Yeah, so the, uh, the stage that I'm at right now is, you know, I've got a list of probably... 150 brands or products that I think have an opportunity either that have representation or maybe theirs is currently weak, you know. So the next thing would be to make sure I have the relationship with with the buyers that I need to perform for those brands. Um, you think that's the correct order to go in before you actually launch and actually start no, I disagree. I think um, the right way to go is you need to, who's going to sign your check? The manufacturer. So that's where you got to start. Mm. Because they're going to hire you and they're going to be the ones that pay you. The buyers is doing business is what you have to do. So yes, you okay. need both. But if you have nothing to sell, then you, you have no need for a relationship with a buyer. Good point, okay. Get hired by the lines that you want to get hired from first. Portray yourself as an expert. Really know what you're doing. Build credibility to your name. Let people find you. Go after the lines that you want. And you'll get some things in your bag. And it might start out with one brand out of your 150. And that's okay. Because that's one. And right. if you're anything like me, you know, you'll read all these stories about famous authors that had their books rejected a hundred times and famous actors that got 
rejected from movies hundreds of times. All it takes is one. You need one brand to hit that could take you to the next one and the next one. So that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So don't get overwhelmed about there's all these, you know, like 150 companies. That's going to be a lot. I would I would trim that list down to like 10 or 15. And I would really make try to make get on the radar of the decision makers of each of those people at those 10 to 15 companies. Got it. And some of them I do have relationships with already too, which is which you know, it's, it's that fine line between like full-time career in the food industry and not, you know, jumping too quickly or at a time where it's going to jeopardize income and family and things like that. Um, but, you know, each day it's more and more of a serious move for me. So I'm glad you're thinking about it and continue to make those plans. And as you think about it and as it, it becomes a thought, as it becomes a part of your thought process every day, pieces will begin to come into you and you'll start putting them together on how you're going to make this a reality. And it may take you a while to put together, and that's okay. It takes years for a great company to come together. It's not going to happen in six months. It's not going to happen in eight months. You know, you see all these memes on social media about, you know, hustle hard for five years so that you can chill for the next 50 years. That's not true. I mean, it takes 10 to 15 years to get to the top of something, if not more than that. That's why people got to be really committed and dedicated to something. I mean, you may have no growth for five years, and then you may have exponential growth in two years after that. So as long as you're in it for the long haul, you will make the right decisions that people will want to stay on your ship as you continue to grow. That makes perfect sense, and I really appreciate all the information you've given me. And, you know, to repay, I'd love to, if there's any brands that, uh, you know, I know don't have representation in that area. I'd love to throw them your way, you know, that I think are, you know, hot products that, that I have relationships with. Just, you know, it might be a, a good relationship for you. Sure. If you think of anyone, I'd appreciate it. I'd, I'd gladly take any recommendations or referrals. Uh, but more so than that, I just, you know, I was a young guy and I had mentors that put a hand out and helped me where they didn't necessarily have to. And I had some mentors that really opened up the book and showed me everything that they did. And that helped me to become the leader that I am today. And it's allowed me to take Omni where it is today. So I believe in paying it forward. And you've reached out to me. You know, you were aggressive enough to, to demand this time with me. So kudos to you for that. You earned it. And I hope that you take this and it helps you get from point A to point B. I really appreciate it, and I respect all that you do with your business and and uh, helping your brands. You know, maybe we can meet sometime at the food, the fancy food show. I plan on going to the one in New York again this year. So, sure, yeah, hit me up. Let me know when you'll be there, and I'll be there too, and we'll link up. Absolutely, I really appreciate it, and um, I'll shoot you an email with. Um, I don't know if I have your email address actually. My email is zach z a k at omnifs.com. Awesome. I really appreciate it. Do you have any interest in getting into the food service side of your company? No, not right now. We've got our hands full with retail. There's 1,300 stores in the Metro New York marketplace, and there's a lot of consolidation going on right now, so we've really got to keep our eye on the ball. We've been offered that. We've been offered representation in other markets from some of our existing principals, and we really just want to focus on what we do well here, be the experts here, 
and there's a there's a lot of business here that that we're uh, that we're satisfied with. I understand that. Well, thank you very much, Zach, and you have a great weekend, and uh, I hope to talk to you soon. All right, you too. Thanks for the call. Take care. All right, take care. Thanks. All right, bye bye.